Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 4? That can be found on page 188 in your pew Bibles. Deuteronomy chapter 4. We'll be focusing on this in this service and as well as this evening's service. This morning we'll look at verses 1 through 31. And this evening verses 32 through 40. As you're turning there just to lay the groundwork, this is in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is Moses' last speech, his last will and testament to the people before they embark on a great journey, embark on this conquering of the promised land as they stand on the edge, ready to go out, ready to take that land of promise for themselves, and yet yet Moses won't be the one to go with them. And so they stand at a point of transition, they stand at a point of beginning, And at this time where they're standing, Moses directs their attention back. He directs their attention to what's gone before, to what they've done, even, even, and you could almost say, especially their sin and what has gone before, and how that should gear them in looking towards the future. I think this is a good place for us to turn, even as we sort of do the same, as we look at times past and as well as the ones to come, even as there's a lot of connections between the church where we are now and the people then, as they stood as a church, as a people militant, as a church who had to, to go out and, and conquer a promised land. Now, we don't do that, but we are ones who are progressing the kingdom. We are the ones who are seeking the kingdom, a church militant, in a very similar position. Before we read God's word, let's ask for his blessing. Father in heaven, we pray as we turn to you in your word, as we turn to especially a text that directs attention to what lies behind and what lies ahead, a text that directs attention to a special and unique relationship that your people have with you, as well as an accompanying call for obedience to keep your law, to keep it faithfully, and to trust you and you alone. We pray that This would be what would characterize our life, and that this would be our response as well to hear these words spoken so long ago and know that they were just as spoken to them and our great spiritual fathers and mothers back then. They're spoken to us here, and may we apply them properly and see in them the the gospel of your Son. We ask this in his name. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people's who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous 
as all this law that I set before you today. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Now on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments, And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you were going over to possess. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourself in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them things that the Lord your God has allotted to all peoples under the whole heaven. For the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace out of Egypt to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I should not cross the Jordan and that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. For I must die in this land. I must not go over the Jordan. But you shall go over and take possession of that good land. Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make to carve image the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him. You search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, You will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. The Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. Thus far, the reading of God's word. I would ask you to keep your Bibles open as we will be referencing and sort of jumping around in this text to the various themes that Moses is bringing about. 
Speeches are powerful. Speeches from a leader is necessary for the people. They inspire action. They display the heart of the leader for the people. They, they prod on to do what is right. And you see that in Moses here. You see that in Moses as he is ready to depart from the world, as he is ready and, and no longer able to continue on and be their guardian, to be their mediator and leader. He is drawing them back to the truth. He's drawing them to what they must do and who they must be as they enter the land. He's warning them of dangers just as he warns them of blessings. You see, throughout this text, throughout this chapter, he's constantly putting before them their special standing. Here it is. Here's your special standing. It's unique. No one else has this. And he constantly flips from that to in light of this, do this. In light of this, be obedient. In light of this, seek the Lord and serve only him. It's a fitting speech. It's one that directs the people where they need to be directed, and it's one that directs us as well to where we need to go, to what we need to think. Even though we stand in a position where we have so much more understanding of what Moses is saying, a, a far deeper understanding of what it means to have a special standing before God, of our greater understanding of what it means to see the righteousness of the law and indeed our obligation to it, our desire to keep it, as we stand, a church militant, a church that must go out, an army, an army to go out and conquer the world, not with the swords, not with the, the weapons that the nations have, and, but a greater weapon, the gospel itself. And we are no less soldiers who have that great weapon and go out and do that conquering. And yet we are those who must, must stay faithful to God and God alone. Him only shall we serve, him only shall we obey. In Shakespeare's play of Henry V, in Act 3, Scene 1, there is this famous line of Henry V, as Shakespeare record, records it, Once more unto the breach, dear friends, once more or close the wall with our English dead. He is prodding on his army once more, arise once more, go to that breach in the wall once more, stand up and go or else die in the process. And in a sense, this is what Moses is doing in Deuteronomy itself. Stand up, men of Israel, stand up, people of God, once more arise and go forth. Go forth in obedience and die in the process. Don't turn from the Lord as you stand on the edge awaiting war, as you stand on the edge of uncertainty, for I'm not there. You looked to me for this, and I will not be going with you. Look to the Lord and him alone. He is your help and your strength. You see, what Moses says there is, is so fitting to apply to us. Where we stand, we look to a greater mediator. We look to the Lord and we proceed on. And once more, we arise and we go forth. And every day we could say that to ourselves, sort of that thinking of Shakespeare, once more unto the breach, once more do we serve we arise and go forth. And to learn this lesson, what, what must we learn? What must we keep in, our, in front of our eyes and hold firmly to? What is Moses sort of circling around in this text and constantly getting at and constantly applying a truth? We see it in verses 7 and 8. Our theme this morning comes from verses 7 and 8. Verse 7 says, 
For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? And so to condense what those verses are saying, Moses presents to them a God so near, a law so righteous. That's how we could try to summarize what he is circling around, what he continues to go from one to the other. You see, there isn't just a segment like verses one through whatever focus on the nearness of God and the other verses focus on obedience. It's, it's both. It's both and. There's the nearness of God, and in light of that nearness, there's the obedience. In light of the righteousness of the law and the way we are to witness through it, do this because your God is so near, and your God is so near, and he's given you this righteous law, so obey it. And you see how he interweaves all these things a people of God who have a God so near, who have a law and a word revelation from the Lord so righteous as to set us apart, as to make us distinct. What makes us distinct? It is an ethnicity. You know, you could maybe even think, well, at the time, was it? Was it at the time ethnicity? But even then, that wasn't the Lord's intent. He chose a people, but it was to bring the nations into that people. And though it was centered among the nation of Israel and the descendants of Abraham, there were those who were brought in, as the Bible highlights. There were those like Rahab. There were those who were supposed to to come into their midst, and it wasn't one of exclusion. It was one to be set apart. So at the end of the day, it isn't an ethnicity that sets the people of God apart. Even at that time, what was given to the people was a sign of circumcision that brought them into the covenant. That was that sign of entrance, and that's not an ethnic sign. It was a sign that could be given to all peoples brought in. What makes us distinct? A God so near, a law so righteous, a word so clear, a relationship, a covenant, a special standing with the Lord that's unparalleled that no one else has, that no one else knows, and this is what Moses is saying, and then he makes a bunch of application in light of those truths, and in light of this nearness, in light of the righteousness of the Lord, obey. Stand firm and be faithful. In light of this nearness, there's threats. In light of this nearness and proximity you have to the Lord, in light of the righteous law that was given to you, beware lest you be expelled from the land lest you be put out. In light of this nearness, trust the Lord, see Him, have faith in Him. All these applications is what Moses makes from that truth that we have a God so near and a law so righteous. What better way in which to meditate on our standing as the church today and as we move forward than to give this speech that once more stand up, once more unto the breach, continue on. We'll see that as we go through this text. These truths demand obedience. The truths of God's nearness and his righteousness warrant judgments. They display the people's special standing. They highlight covenant blessings. They inform our understanding. They inform our worship. They tell us how to worship and what not to do. They teach us of the future. So our first point this morning is because of a nation with a God so near and a law so righteous, that means that we obey the laws of God. 
And that's what we see as we look through all the uh, calls of Moses telling them to be obedient. This text is saturated with it. And I want to spend a lot of time on it because if you were to read this and not understand fully what you're seeing, you would think that it's all about obedience and that's it. And that their standing in the land, that their special standing is only according to that obedience. But that's not quite what Moses is saying so we need to see his, his clear and strong call for obedience and understand that properly to understand what he is saying and what he's not saying. To help us understand that, we have to, to see that there is a context of idolatry in which he's speaking. There's a context of idolatry, and we also have to learn again the lesson of James, the lesson of James in what is true faith, and we'll get to both of that. And so what, here's what I want to do at this point. To understand our law-keeping and call to obey, we're going to look at the context of idolatry and the lesson of James in this point. The context of idolatry. Moses does this in several ways. You see, first he does this by referencing something in their past. In fact, referencing their failure. First four chapters of Deuteronomy are uh, a, it's a reciting of their history, and it's not a good one by and large. It's one that highlights the way they failed, and he does that here. He does this with this business of the Baal of Peor, verse three and following. Moses references that. What, what is that referring to? This is referring to Numbers chapter twenty-five, and an event in Numbers twenty-five. I'm going to read it, beginning in verse one. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. You see, what he's referencing is this context of idolatry, where the people were led away by the nations and their influence, led away by false marriage, by bringing them in, intermarrying, and then through that influence they were pulled away. They, they started worshiping and sacrifices, sacrificing to these other gods. Moses has, has witnessed this. He's seen how susceptible the people are to the false worship and the false gods of the peoples, and so he's really highlighting that. And so his calls for obedience, his calls to endure and obey, come in the context not of do this and save yourselves, but from the context, obey the Lord and remain faithful. Don't turn to other gods or you will be dead or you will be sent from the land. That's the context here, to yoke yourself to another god. You see, this isn't just simply if you fail in one of these Ten Commandments, it's if you fail in one of these righteous laws, then you've done it. And you're, you're expelled from the land. Yeah, we know that you just failed, that you really worship the Lord and want Him. You, you stumbled, but that stumbling means you're gone. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is stay faithful to the Lord, obey His laws. But what is obedience to the laws of God? It's a mark of trust in Him. It's a mark of service to Him alone. It's a mark of worship to the Lord. It's faith. And so what he's saying is remain faithful to the Lord. Obey only him. The scripture is full of these calls to obey. 
And yet we see through the whole revelation of Scripture, those, those calls of obedience, even our call of obedience, is one to be properly understood. It's, it's in light of who we are as God's people, saved by him. In light of our special standing comes this call to be faithful and to see that if you reject the Lord himself and turn to other gods, you've lost salvation. That's, that's the same today. It's the same exact truth. You turn from the Lord to worship any other God. If you don't wholeheartedly serve the Lord and be obedient to Him, meaning your faith is centered on Him and Him alone, and you reveal that in your works and your obedience, if you don't do that, you are not God's people. You will be sent from the land. So that's the first way he shows this context of idolatry. And in this reference to the Baal of Peor, he also does this in that little sermon he gives in verses 15 to 31. You can see in your text, the text actually has a different heading for it. It says, idolatry forbidden. And what does Moses do here? In this this sermon, Moses sets forth the dangers of the people turning to a false form of worship, incorporating the pagan practices around them. And if they are to worship the Lord and Him alone, they aren't able, they they can't adopt what is a false and wicked worship practice. Not all idolatry is introduced to the people with a clear call. No, you don't want to serve. You don't want to serve the Lord. You don't want to serve Yahweh. You want to serve Baal. So, so reject Yahweh and serve Baal. That's, that's not primarily how this happened. Primarily how it happened was incorporate Baal and that worship practice into your own life. Have both. You see, the way you really want to worship is through this sensual practice of the pagan worship the way that you can commune with the gods through that sensuality and prostitution, the way you can serve these gods the way all the nations are, that was the way they wanted to worship. And, and what was introduced was through that, through that intermarriage, through taking those wives and that interest and say, yes, let's worship this way, let's worship the Lord, and let's worship Baal. We saw how susceptible the people were to that false form of worship in Exodus when they turned to the golden calf we'll actually see how the worship and false worship totally corrupts the northern tribes of Israel. What happens in Israel's history? They're divided. They have two kings. And yet the northern tribes are supposed to worship at the temple. They're supposed to worship there. That's the call. But what does what do the northern kings do? They set up golden calves. They set up their own centers of worship. It's absolutely destructive. Worshiping in the false way, worshiping God incorrectly isn't true worship, and it pulls you away. Moses called to them, Scripture's called to us, worship the Lord properly. Worship the Lord in obedience. Don't fall to the context of idolatry. We live in a time that has actually has way more dangers in, in the sense of idolatry and its influences than even they did. We have so many theories that are are shot at us, so many ways in which we can understand other gods, even formal religions. You have access to them all. So just we have we have the, the sheer number of religions we know is greater, and then even more so, the, the influence we have is so great. There, you, you can connect to them. Our worship can be influenced by them so easily. We'll worship 
Yeah, well, our, our worship, yeah, we'll still, we'll still pray to the Lord, we'll still preach sermons, but maybe the content starts changing a bit. Maybe it's not so much about sin, salvation, and service. Maybe it's not so much about our, our inability to save ourselves, the salvation that comes in God, and then that accompanying call of obedience. It's not really that. Now it's, it's all about the mysticism. It's all about, it's all about emotions and, and manipulation and do that, and that's worship. Emotions are not bad. Emotions should be part of worship. But they can be corrupted. And when it becomes corrupted and it's just about this, it's just about what I can get out of it, that's a stepping stone away from the Lord. Corrupt worship comes in that context of idolatry, an idolatry that would lead to apostasy. Apostasy is either knowingly or unknowingly abandoning and renouncing God. To knowingly do so, make that decision formerly, or unknowingly do it. Where you have incorporated false gods, where you've incorporated other ways of salvation, where you've adopted what isn't true, you're, you're a double-minded person, you're not wholeheartedly for the Lord, you're not wholeheartedly obedient. That's Moses' point. You see, it's not this obedience of salvation. It's this obedience of faith. That's the lesson of James. That's what we saw as we went through James, how he, uh, how he shows how works and faith go together, and they're joined together, not as if works are the basis, not as if works save, but that there's faith and accompanying works. There's faith and then obedience. And when, the God, when God's word calls for obedience, it's not so partitioned out that it's calling for do these laws and save yourselves. It's a wholehearted obedience. It's a wholehearted faithfulness. That means service to the Lord. Trust in him. They go together. That's Moses' point. What other nation has a God so near, a law so righteous, that it warrants our wholehearted commitment. That commitment is seen in, in the exclusivity, exclusively following the Lord himself, exclusively trusting in him, not turning away. And we need these truths. We need to understand how we are to worship, how we are to follow the Lord. You see, their presence in the land, Israel's presence in the land, was always seen as a gracious gift. Their deliverance from Slavery in Egypt was always God's grace and a gift that they didn't warrant, that they didn't achieve, that they didn't do enough to make the Lord look at them. It's not as if the Lord looked out on earth and said, which people am I going to save? We can see that clearly, because what did he do? He built a nation from a man he called, from Abraham, who himself wasn't this one to be extolled, who wasn't one who was so much better than anyone else. Moses was a sinful man as well. I mean, Abraham was a sinful man as well, and that is who the Lord called and built a nation from him. It wasn't as if they had warranted this. They didn't, they didn't achieve the good pleasure of the Lord, and their standing in the land wasn't based on a perfect law-keeping. The sacrificial system has already been established, Sacrificial system was an acknowledgement that you're going to break the law and you're going to break it daily and you need daily cleansing and daily blood. You see, their, their standing in the land wasn't because of perfection, just as our standing with God isn't our works. But obedience to the law, when Moses is saying that, it's, it's obedience to all of it. 
It's worshiping him. It's being cleansed in sacrifice. It's being ceremonial ceremonial purity. All these things that pointed to the fact that they're saved in God and him alone. So keep it. So follow it. Obey. James shows that truth. Faith and law-keeping go together. This also explains the threat of punishments that you see uh, in verse 3, but also especially in verses 25 to 28. You look at your text in verses 25 to 28, it's hard to even determine if Moses is describing here just if you do this or really making a prophecy when you do this. When this happens, as if he knows it's gonna. When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord, what he's saying, this is idolatry. If you turn from the Lord and your children turn from the Lord, he says in verse 26, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed, and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you, and there you will serve gods of wood and stone. And notice in that, in verse 28, when he's saying, you will serve gods of wood and stone, this is sort of what they would be after. This is sort of what they want. But Moses is saying it as as such a sad state. Remember verses 7 and 8. Who has a God so near and a law so righteous and this, you'll exchange this for that? For for stone? For wood? The work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell? Let's let's update this language to to make it more applicable today. Would would you exchange the, the, the closeness of the Lord and the word of God that we have that makes us so distinct, that makes us what we are? Would you exchange that for for lust, for wealth? Would you exchange that for standing or for your pride? Would you exchange that for, for whatever you might gain? Would you exchange that for a different religion? Would you exchange that for even just a good life? That's here today and gone tomorrow. We we sang of the passing of times. It's New Year's Day. We look at the year that has gone before. We look at the one to come. And what you'd see, especially as you get older, and, and the young people here will see this as they get older, that the times just go quicker and quicker. And you get to the the New Year's Day much faster than you got to it the time before. This is the witness of all those who who have grown up, all of those who we look to for maturity. Our older members will tell you this, that time flies. Would you exchange the, the, the knowledge, the glory of the Lord for what this life can offer? Sadness, would you exchange this for idolatry? Be obedient. Stand firm in the faith. Once more, unto the breach. Once more, service to the Lord. Once more, stand up. Follow his word. For what other nation has a God so near and a law so righteous? Verse 29, But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him. If You search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. And what this introduces and what Moses has as well earlier in the chapter said is our special standing. 
the proximity we have to the Lord, the nearness we have with Him. And so we see this in our second point. A nation with a God so near and a law so righteous means we must remember our special standing. We must know that we have a special standing before the Lord. And He shows us in many ways. How special is it to have a law so righteous and this special standing? Verse 6. Look at verse 6. Talking about the statutes of the Lord, His word. Keep them and do them. Look at this. For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Our special standing is seen in a wisdom that witnesses. Our special standing is seen in a wisdom that witnesses. An endowment of understanding, of knowledge, of a law so righteous that it makes us so wise, of a revelation and a word from the Lord that gives us a wisdom unparalleled that the nations don't possess, that no one could because it comes from God. And what it's supposed to mean for Israel, what it's supposed to mean for us, the church, what you received should be so alive in you, and it is so great and so righteous, it spills forth. And people should say, surely this is a great nation. Surely this is a great people. The nations of the day had their law codes. We've dug some of them up. Some of them reflect the Lord's general revelation. Some of them, you might say, parallel what you'd see in God's word, but certainly not all. And what you would see is a broken law and a broken system. And even if the law code itself was one that was passable, it wouldn't be on on par with what we have here. And even if they had a passable law, its institution in that nation would be so corrupt that the people would not say that of any other nation. The people wouldn't approach Egypt and say, what a great Godly, righteous nation. What wisdom and maturity. They wouldn't know that. They wouldn't have that. God's words make the people wise and understanding in the sight of all peoples. And it's a wisdom that does what it witnesses. It doesn't puff up. It's not one that then says, see, we're superior. It's one that's supposed to bring the people in. That will draw the nations to them. A law so righteous, a word so righteous that it it brings this out. And here's an encouragement as well as an exhortation. The encouragement is that this has happened through God's people. You see it in slight ways, precursor-like ways. You see the queen of the south come up to Solomon and, and she would say that very thing who has a wisdom like this. There would be those peoples and people and pilgrims who would come and, and see this in Israel and say, this is the Lord, this is righteousness. And you would, you would see how that display of, of a law so righteous and that endowment of wisdom to the people brought them in. And so that's that encouragement. And we've seen it so much greater in the church now. The church has changed the world. It is the most powerful force on the globe. You're not going to read that in the newspapers. You're not going to hear that in news networks. They're not going to say that, nor would they even recognize it, but we see the truth. Nothing has altered the world. Nothing has changed it so much as a law so righteous and a God so near as displayed in the church. 
We should be encouraged by that. We see it happening. But the exhortation is that it's that call that Moses makes to the people, do this. And it's the same call that we hear, go out and do this. To, to add weight to that call, we could say, it's up to you, you know. You're called to go and out and do these things, the church. Us as God's people, the call, the Great Commission, is to them, to us, to the body, go and do these things. Display to the world that we have a God so near that no one else has. That we have a law so righteous that no one else possesses, and that's only truly seen in Christ himself who comes and displays all of this. Who is the very incarnation of wisdom by which the nations will say, wow, look at that. It is Jesus Christ who, who is the, the, the closest and the nearness that we gain through the Lord. How can we have more proximity to the Lord than that he came to us? Verses 7 and 8 become so much more powerful as we read them. As we sit here in 2023, that we have what these verses say. For what great nation? What nation on the earth? Who is there that has a God so near as you have with the Lord our God? Whenever we call upon him. Notice how Moses says that. Whenever we call upon him. So near, he hears us. We just, we just call to him and he hears. So near. He could say that when they had a tabernacle. He could say that when they had shadows and ceremonies. How much more can we say that when we have Christ? And so is not the prompting then to hold firm to Christ that much greater when we have a revelation that much deeper? And if the Ten Commandments are seen to be so righteous, if the word of the Lord then was seen to be so great, and what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as this law that he sets before them today, do we not see how much greater it is? Where we've had greater revelation from Christ himself as to what the law means? even displayed? See, they didn't have an example of perfect law-keeping. They didn't have an example of per perfect righteousness. They had shadows and forms. And we have the one who kept the law perfectly and displayed this righteousness. We've seen it. Our special standing to God is seen in the wisdom that witnesses. Look at verse 10. How in the day that you stood before the Lord, your God, at Horeb, that's Sinai, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. A God so near, a wisdom that witnesses, a wisdom that goes out. Our special standing is seen as well in God's proximity. That's what we've been talking about already. I don't need to go into that more. It's that nearness. Our special standing is seen there. Our special standing is seen as well in verse 20, that we are God's inheritance. Look at verse 20. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace. Good description of the power of Egypt and as well of its, of its severity. Who would want to be there? But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. People of God, this is a shadow. It's true, but it's a shadow. 
If Egypt is an iron furnace, is not the grasp of sin and Satan himself an iron furnace? And if they're taken out of that to be God's own inheritance, then are we not, when he's portrayed greater works through Christ himself, to take us as his own inheritance? We think of an inheritance, and we think of it as, I don't know, you're a kid there, you're like, boy, I wonder what mom and dad are worth. (laughs) We'll see, I guess. I don't want them to die, but when they die, we'll see how much we get, how much is left over. That's inheritance. No. Inheritance at this time, I mean, this was, this was everything. This is your family's name. This is your family's land. It's your family itself. It's the respect and honor you have in the community. It's everything. That's the inheritance. The Old Testament is full of this, battling over inheritance, how the inheritance matters, the loss of inheritance, what that would mean. And yet, we are God's inheritance, a God so near to adopt us as his inheritance. Now you see in the end, in these last few verses, verses 29 and following, that close proximity and what that means that we are the inheritance. You see, remember the verses preceding this, Moses is giving them a warning of coming judgment. Moses is giving them a warning of what this means if they don't fully embrace the Lord, if they don't obey his law, if they turn to other gods, they're lost, but, but, What does it mean, verse 29 and following? But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul, when you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. And then verse 31, this is the crescendo of this portion. We're building up to this point, this climactic note. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. We've been laying the table in these 31 verses to what's going to come tonight in verses 32 through 40. We're hinting at a lot of it, but it's, it's, it's that much more grand in verses 32 through 40. But verse 31 is something of the hinge. Moses has been giving that speech. Henry V, Shakespeare, once more under the breach. Moses is there standing, stand up, Israel, and when you go into the land and go to conquer it without my presence, do this, be aware of this, and this will happen. And when you fail, and if you fail, you will be utterly cast out, but you are the Lord's inheritance, but you have still a God so near, but you still have a law so righteous, and the Lord is your God, and he's a merciful God. The Lord, your God, will not leave you. He will not destroy you. He will not forget you. The covenant that he made with your fathers that he swore to them will stand. And we we see the history in Israel. We see it with us. We are not those cast out. We are not those forgotten. 
And you know what? For so many of us here of Gentile descent, we are the nation that saw a law so righteous, that saw a God so near, that we're the Lord's inheritance. Wasn't Israel that did that so well? It was God. And the nation that was to see it, the nations that would see what the Lord would be and how special the Lord is to his people, we are the very proof of it, the fruit of it, the churches. Right now, the church is gathered globally, as we do every week, and we worship the Lord, and we see everything that Moses said here happen. And we see their truth. As we conclude this morning, I want to read one text from the New Testament, one that I think mirrors this text very well. If you could turn to 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 2, verses 9 to 12. I'm going to pause in the reading here to show how this text does so well mirror even what Moses said in Deuteronomy 4. Notice first in the beginning of verse 9, The standing, the special standing, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood and a holy nation, a people for his own possession, inheritance. People for God's own possession. There we see a special standing. We see especially an inheritance. Continues, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's a wisdom that witnesses. Proclaim what you've been given. Witness through what's been done. Witness through your special standing. Verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. There's the nations being brought in. There's the rebellious, exiled nation that Moses said, when you fail and you will, you will be brought back. And when they're brought back, it's not just ethnic Israel. It's not just Israel that was exiled that comes back. It's everyone. You who were not a people. Now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, there's judgment, there's correction. But now you have received mercy. These are the latter days. We've been brought back. The mercy is here. Peter continues, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, we'll pause there, that's a church militant. That's a church that's on the edge of the promised land, ready to go in and conquer it, but hasn't yet, of a kingdom that must spread, of a great commission that is going out and must continue to go out. Once more under the breach, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. That's obedience. That's Moses' call and and the Bible's call to be obedient. In light of your standing, in light of who you are, obey, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And here we see again a wisdom that witnesses so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds 
and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is where we should turn in our understanding of where we are at as God's people. We look back to look forward. We look back to what God has done, and we hear Moses' speech as a speech to us, and we look forward to what we are to do as a nation, as a people, as a church, with a God so near and a law so righteous. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are in awe of your word as we are in awe of it every week. Man cannot devise this. We read words that were spoken thousands of years ago by one of your servants, and we see its fulfillment even now. And we pray as we look forward to yet another year, as we look forward to a continuation, as we are that church militant that must go out and conquer, and conquer with the gospel, that we would see that we have a God so near and so close, a God with us so dearly, we are your inheritance, and may we see that we have a revelation, a law so righteous. May we then be those to witness to it, to those to obey it. We ask this in Jesus' name.